0: Hey, U.S. Cellular customers, I've got good news, so don't hit skip forward just yet. I'm talking about their special customer event, Us Days. What's Us Days? It means exclusive offers just for their customers, just to say thanks, like up to $1,200 to upgrade to any new phone. No, I didn't misread that. That's up to $1,200 off. They must really like you all. Us Days at U.S. Cellular. Exclusive offers just for you, just to say thanks. Right now, U.S. Cellular customers could get up to $1,200 to upgrade to any new phone. Visit uscellular.com for terms and restrictions.
1: Live from the city that never sleeps.
2: Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez. Valdez with an S at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. If you want to join the conversation, our late night town hall conversation, live and national, feel free to do so. 8334 Valdez is the phone number. 833, the number four, and my last name, Valdez. Or you can chime in online on social media at Rich Valdez. Of course, that's Rich Valdez with an S. And Uh, Plenty to talk about tonight. Uh, I spent the day at Hofstra University at the Talkers 2023 conference in New York. And a big shout out to Michael Harrison, the publisher of Talkers Magazine. It was a, a event really well put on. Lots of great people that uh, some that I've known, some that I've only known through reputation, some that I've known you know kind of um, digitally and whatnot uh, that I've got to see for the first time. It was a really cool event where you have all these great talk radio people all under one roof. That was a lot of fun. So big shout out to them and uh, we have a pretty cool show for you tonight. It's Friday, Friday edition. We're live. We're national. Uh, so many of my talk radio colleagues are out, hanging out, right, out and about, having a good time. We're doing the show live and national, and and uh, I got to tell you, this is an amazing show, not because you're there and I'm here, but because so many uh, of our friends in Talk Radio World were, were complimenting the show, and it was really nice uh, to to be with so many great, talented individuals. Anyway, I want to tell you a little bit about what we're going to talk about tonight. Uh, We've got the president of Judicial Watch is scheduled to join us a little bit later, Tom Fitton. We're going to talk about the FBI and all the crazy things that are going on there. Uh, Plus, Jennifer Hargrave, she's a family law attorney. We're going to talk about what and when, you know, like what's the criteria and when is it necessary to implement a prenuptial agreement? And uh, the the case in point we're going to use is Jeff Bezos, who um, gave up half his fortune when he got divorced a couple of years ago and is now thinking of getting married again. But I think this time he's using a prenuptial agreement. So we're going to do that. And um, Stephen Williford, I don't know if you remember, but uh, years ago he um, stopped a mass shooting. He's got an amazing story and he's going to be sharing that with us. Of course, your calls, we're taking your calls live all throughout the evening, eight three three four 4 valdez Now, I want to um, remind everybody that in addition to the Talk Radio Conference in New York, Talkers 2023, today is National Donut Day. And on an editorial note, while you're um, celebrating with donuts, the Air Force has uh, denied the AI drone story that we uh, discussed yesterday, uh, saying that the comments that were being quoted in the article were taken out of context. So take that for what it's worth. Now, here's one that I wanted to get into a little bit, because I didn't even know this was a thing until I saw, I believe it was Congressman Matt Gates asking uh, General Milley, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs, in a hearing, he was asking him, what do you know about the drag shows, uh, drag queens performing shows on military bases? Uh, Actually, I think it was Lloyd Austin first, he asked, and then General Milley. And again, he was dumbfounded. He was like, I don't know anything about that. As far as I know, that's not happening. And he says, well, let me point your attention to this, that. And we played the clip on the show. Uh, But today, the Pentagon took action to ban drag shows on military bases after the pressure was put on. And this is uh, just one day before the launch of what many consider Pride Month, top defense leaders were quietly enforcing a military-wide ban on drag performances. The The move became public after Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin and Joint Chiefs Chairman General Milley uh, stopped in to stop a drag show at Nellis Air Force Base, which had been scheduled for Thursday. Isn't that interesting? Interesting. In enforcing the ban, which uh, stems from a longstanding Defense Department policy that has not always been applied, critics say the Pentagon appears to have acquiesced to Republican pressure in recent months to cancel those performances at military installations. Look at that. I I honestly didn't know this was a thing either. This is pretty uh, pervasive stuff that we have drag shows now at military bases. Who would have, as they say in New York, who would have thunk it? Anyway, Republican lawmakers in hearings and letters to the Defense Department have raged over drag shows and diversity programs, which they claim hurt recruiting efforts and compromised warfighting. LGBTQ rights groups have slammed the apparent shift from the Pentagon, noting that the United States has a long history of supporting drag shows going back to World War I. Now, this is one I would have said, is that right? Uh, Because, again, I I don't know much about this, um, but... I, I mean, I can't. If you know, please let me know. Give us a call, 833-4-VALDEZ. I had no idea that the United States uh, military had hosted or sponsored drag queen performance shows since World War I. Uh, have you ever heard of this? I know that I have not. But that was uh, what was going on today. Now, I want to get to a, a quick clip of audio Um if there's time, I got three in mind. I won't have time for three. But Joy Reid on MSNBC, uh, she made a funny comment, and it's kind of couched in in the rest of her commentary. But in effect, she says that Joe Biden is a very effective president. He's really good at his job. He's just very low-key about it. So he's so good at his job, none of us notice. Listen to this.
3: As for Kevin's House Republicans, the 71 MAGA Republicans who voted against the bill are still mad that they didn't get to kick the pores and that Kevin had the audacity to cut a deal with Biden at all. And even this not so bright crew can see that he got out and negotiated. And that is because Joe Biden actually is effective at doing this job in a low key way that is light on bragging, but heavy on delivering for the American people. In this case, saving us from a catastrophic default. But even before this, With the Inflation Reduction Act or the bipartisan infrastructure law or the most significant gun violence reduction legislation in 30 years. Again, Biden ain't flashy, but he has proven time and time again that he can deliver,
2: even when some of us in the media doubt his bipartisan strategy. Now he's not flashy, but he's certainly splashy. Right when he takes a spill, he uh, he really goes all out. And again, I don't mean to uh, make fun. Honestly, I was a little concerned about that. But it, it is fascinating how—and I mentioned this yesterday. I'll, I'll share it again. How the the media wants to just be like, "No, no, this is no look. It was a sandbag, guys. It was a sandbag. All right. Who doesn't trip over a sandbag? Come on, let's let's." Act your age, not your shoe size, right? Today, they're super adult. But when President Trump wore his leather-bottomed shoes and took it really, really slow going down that ramp um, without falling, he was, you know, suffering from cognitive decline, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We've got the uh, montage that shows that juxtaposition from the media. We'll play that a little bit later on. But I think it's just fascinating that this is the situation that we're in because I I just – I've always seen the media bias, but it just hasn't uh, been this pervasive, at least um, not this bad in, until recent years. Anyway, one more story quickly. Um, the uh, chairman of the Oversight Committee, James Comer, he scored a big win in the fight with the FBI as Christopher Ray has agreed to show top members President Biden's bribery memo, the FBI document that. The whistleblower was referencing saying that it proves that he did, in fact, um, accept the bribe. Something that Senator Grassley uh, has alluded to seeing, and now it looks like a few others of of this uh, oversight committee have seen it as well. So, we're going to talk about the FBI and a little bit more on what they're up to, what they're not up to, and Everything else in between with the president of Judicial Watch, Tom Fitton. And we're going to do that straight ahead. Here's our number 8334Valdez. 8334Valdez.
1: This is America at Night with Rich Valdez.
4: Well, thank you, Rich, and thank you for everything. I know you very well, and I have, I listen, but I have a lot of people that listen, and they love your show, and I appreciate it very much.
1: America at Night with
4: Rich Valdez. And remember, the Department of Justice has a particular interest in making sure that classified documents stay in the government and are not intentionally taken um, outside of the government. Um, And many, many people have been prosecuted for far less. And that's the reason I find it really inconceivable that he would not be charged because frankly, I think the rule of law requires it. If he is going to be treated the same as anyone else who did the same thing, then all you have to do is look at what the Department of Justice has done in cases that frankly are far less egregious and they've been charged. So I really think this is a question of when, not the question
2: of if. All right. So that is Andrew Weissman, um, former Department of Justice, lackey Andrew Weissman, who... um, was the brains behind the Mueller investigation, according to so many. And he says uh, it's not a question of, of when, it's a question of, of, of if, rather. It's a question of when. Yet uh, today the Department of Justice says they're not going to be doing anything to um, Mike Pence, who was also found to have some classified documents. And the whole thing, um, it, to me, is it's just bizarre. And of course as you know I'm not a uh, I'm not a radio lawyer I don't play one on the radio I'm not even a real lawyer in real life but I do have lots of questions and I love to invite lawyers on the program so today we've got the president of Judicial Watch Tom Fitton. welcome sir
5: Well you're gonna, it's good to be with you but you're going to have to get another guest
2: I'm not a lawyer <laughs> Oh uh, well you get to be the president of Judicial Watch that's good enough for me I'll do my best
5: to explain well A lot of what we're talking about isn't law, as you'll find out.
2: Yeah, it's honestly dirty politics. You're right, Tom Fitton. Yeah. And I understand. Good to be with
5: you. Thank you for having me.
2: Oh, it's my pleasure. And I understand that you um, appeared before this grand jury. uh, uh, There was 23 of them. Is that right? Yeah, I think
5: that's the number that's in there. Um, This is a grand jury uh, that's been – impaneled by Biden, uh, his Justice Department, to target Trump uh, for this document hoax and uh, for his disputing and others disputing a Biden's election. I mean, you know, to describe it is to condemn it, isn't it?
2: Yeah, it seems that way. Now, the what's interesting here is that they're – they're going after trump on documents in, in another jurisdiction they're going after trump on everything they can you have a pretty good track record of 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 waging uh, some lawfare against them with your own lawsuits and being successful what's your take on on this right here having um, you know having had them drag you in to to be a witness What do you think is going to be the outcome of this? Do you think Andrew Weissman is correct that it's not a question of if, but when? Or do you think they eventually back down and this is just theater?
0: Um, I I don't think they're going to back
5: down. I think they're going to concoct a reason to indict him. Um, I think they've been incentivized by Alvin Bragg's outrageous investigation and indictment up in New York. Mm-hmm. And you know my my thinking is, is the other Democrat partisans now running this investigation in the Justice Department are going to say why not join the party and certainly in Fulton County, Georgia, Georgia, another hotbed of Democratic partisanship, <laughs> they're also concocting reasons to go after Trump. And I you know I think you know obviously President Trump and no one else is above the law, but they're not beneath the protection of the law. And so when you see these charges being bandied about, you have to say. You know, is there something going on here that hasn't happened before? And if it is, that's a pretty good indication something improper is happening. And in New York and Washington, D.C. And, and in Georgia, you have unprecedented and novel applications of the so-called law to target Trump uh, in ways that have never been done before in in our legal system, and certainly not against the former president. Uh, so, uh, you know, the in New York, you know, you have a settlement with someone, they charge you with a crime because it was a campaign finance violation, although they won't tell you exactly ex- exactly what that crime might be, as, as we've learned in New York. In Washington, D.C., you dispute a Democrat president winning, you get investigated by a grand jury. You hold documents as a former president that every former president has been able to do and has has been interpreted to be proper Previously, certainly for Bill Clinton, as Judicial Watch uncovered, when we actually sued on this very issue for his infamous sock case, new rules for Trump. And in Fulton County, Georgia, again, challenging an election, uh, raising questions as president about the way the election was conducted, they want to prosecute you and jail you. And I tell you, uh, my guess is, uh, the and it's probably not too far afield. Um, that this president president trump's going to be campaigning from jail potentially at one point
2: wow wow folks we're on with tom fitton he's the president of judicial watch and tom fitton tell us a little bit more about your experience with this um interrogation this interview from the grand jury investigating trump what um i guess they notified your attorney or they sent you a subpoena Um, No, they came to
5: my house. They sent FBI agents to my house to serve me a subpoena as I was recovering from skin cancer surgery. I literally got home a few hours earlier. Knock, knock, knock. Knock, knock, knock. Imagine getting getting that served to you at night. And, um, you know, long story short, I end up in front of the grand jury after abusive back and forth with the Justice Department where they said I could come in and talk informally to their lawyers, and then they decided, no, I had to come in for a grand jury appearance as a witness. I mean, complete pulling the rug out from our plans uh, to cooperate with them, um, even though we knew it was harassment. You know, what are you going to do? It's it's the government, right? You know, and uh, it's Washington, D.C., so you can't really get anywhere with the courts if you object too strongly to it. You go in there. It's kind of hard to judges. say no. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's. You know, and we're not above the law either, right? You know, it's a grand jury subpoena, so they i am a witness, so I go. Now, Judicial Watch, and you know, we've been front and center in highlighting this this disparate treatment between Biden, excuse me, between Clinton and Trump on records, right? Because we have been involved in this Clinton records case, where we had sought records that we thought Clinton shouldn't have had, and we thought were classified, and that the government should have gotten, and we were told by the Justice Department and the archives. And the federal court judge, no, there's nothing he can do. The president gets to keep records if he wants after he leaves, and there's no one who can second-guess him. And the government said, we presume records that he has after he leaves offices are, are necessarily personal, meaning not classified. And so when all this erupted with Trump and last year, we're like, well, what is going on here? He did a 180 from your position with Judicial Watch. The court endorsed them. And all of a sudden the new rules for Trump. So we're front and center. What do we get? We sue for on the abusive raid. We sue to get access to the subpoena. We sue to highlight the kind of the abuse of Trump that again is happening. And what do we get for our work as an anti-corruption watchdog group? An abusive subpoena from the justice department. And you go in there and it's 23 or so grand jurors. And I had three US attorneys or three prosecutors, federal prosecutors uh, tag teaming me, uh, for four hours of questioning.
2: Wow. Now, when we come back, I want you to kind of detail a little bit of what that was like, what they were asking you and all of that. Uh, but before we get to that, I just want you to remind everybody of how they can, um, keep up to speed with what you're doing, share your uh, social media handle and your website, if you can, Tom Fitton.
5: Oh, well, thank you for that. It's uh, JudicialWatch.org is our website. Uh, JudicialWatch.org. We're all over social media under Judicial Watch, and I'm on Twitter at at Tom Fitton, and I'm on True Social at Tom Fitton as well.
2: All right, folks, as soon as we're coming back, we're going to be discussing what happened inside this grand jury, what those questions were like. We're on with Tom Fitton, president of Judicial Watch. We're coming straight back. Phone number
0: 833-4-Valdez. Don't move a muscle. We'll be right back. Exclusive offers just for you, just to say thanks. Right now, U.S. Cellular customers could get up to $1,200 to upgrade to any new phone. Visit uscellular.com for terms and restrictions.
1: rich
2: valdez all right america welcome back we're on with tom fitton president of judicial watch and while he was at home sitting on his couch recovering from significant skin cancer surgery um there were knocks on the door and it wasn't anybody bringing him a pie saying get well soon tom fitton who was it
5: it was it was two fbi agents Although they nicely pointed out, I had an Amazon package there to, uh, to get as well.
2: <laughs> oh, thank God! <laughs> thank God you got your Amazon with
5: Prime my bandage. It. With my bandaged face, unbelievable! It's unbelievable.
2: So they go in and and they uh, they bless you with this uh, subpoena. You have to come in. Twenty three grand jurors, and then there's uh, you said three um, federal prosecutors, and they're after you. They want to get some information after you. What are they asking you?
5: Well, you know, the general topics were uh, this dispute with the Trump records. And then secondly, the dispute with um, uh, the 2020 elections. And, uh, you know, we started arguing about the clinton Soccer case and electors and you know, my tweets and what I said to Trump and whether I got phone calls, you know, two years earlier. I, don't, what? I mean, it was, as I've been saying, it was like being on MSNBC for four hours. You go in there thinking, well, maybe that's something <laughs> I need to be worried about here. Maybe there's a crime. They need my witness testimony. It's important. And then it's a debate about all these issues. It wasn't, you know, they got a few questions that were substantive that they probably had to check the boxes to ask. But the rest of it was argumentative and a, and, and a being abused and harassed for First Amendment protected activity by me and Judicial Watch. That's what it came down to. It was partisan. It was a fishing expedition. I didn't see that anything substantive was being investigated or should have been investigated. And I'm thinking of these poor grand jurors who are having to listen to me talk for four hours about what <laughs> I had like my to listeners eat with, at, night, at right? the White House with Trump during lunch.
7: Oh, that's
2: terrific,
5: so uh I mean we laugh in in retrospect, but you know it's, it's awful to go through and it's really outrageous and and you know it's one thing to go with msNBC or you know or to be questioned on a radio show about it uh, It's another thing to um, uh, recognize that this is you know a pretty sacrosanct process, right? the rule of law, the federal grand jury they're investigating a former president. And you go in there and you're like, "What? what is going on here? This is a political fight.
2: And how do you ultimately handle this? I mean, I guess you're, you're telling them the truth. You're there with with counsel. Are you there without your attorneys? How does that process? Oh, well, you? you know,
5: that's the interesting thing. You, when you go into a grand jury, you know, they initially said I could go in and make a proffer. And when you make a proffer, you go and you talk to the lawyers and your attorney's there, you know, and they can help manage the discussion and. You know, protect you. Uh, but then they decided, no, we want a grand jury, which is very—it's you know, outrageous that they said you can come in and do a proffer, and then all of a sudden we need you to come in as a witness to the grand jury, and they basically reasserted the subpoena. Unbelievable! Oh, so, so you, you like go in there in the grand jury room. You're not with your attorney, and if there's an objection or an issue you have, you have to get up and leave, and and they give you a little time to consult with the attorney.
2: Terrific. Terrific. The way they try to set you up. All right, folks, we're on with Tom Fitton. He's the president of Judicial Watch. I know we have a couple of callers that have questions for Tom Fitton. Uh, let's go to John in Illyria, Ohio, WNIR. Uh, John, very quickly, go right ahead. You're on with Tom Fitton and Rich Valdez.
9: Hi, how you doing? The, uh, the media is reporting that Trump is on tape contradicting his claim that he declassified the documents when he took them. Is that report true or false?
2: Thank you, John.
5: Tom Fitton. Well, I've looked at those stories very closely. The media is reporting CNN reported that they talked to someone who heard a tape that suggests that Trump may or may not have known that the records were, quote, classified, which doesn't really answer the legal question as to whether they were classified or not. Uh, So when you look at these media stories, uh, the more hysterical they are, especially on these records issues, uh, the more you realize that it's uh, um, a. a lot of noise signifying nothing in the end. So I, I I think one can fairly stifle some more yawns in the latest iteration of Trump had records.
2: Thank you, John. Now, Tom Fitton, uh, it, I know you don't have a crystal ball, nor are you a professional handicapper of, of cases against Trump. But how do you see this one ultimately unfolding? Uh, You said you do think they're not going to relent, that they're going to continue to go after him. Do you see an indictment coming out of this? Is this going to be one more indictment against Trump? And do you think it's going to have the same effect if, if in fact, that happens? Like, you know, shooting up in the polls with the last indictment? Yeah, I
5: don't know. I mean, uh, you know, I suspect they're going to try – they want to indict him. Um, I mean, just the process itself, uh, you know – I mean, to me, no sensible prosecutor would have pursued it as long unless they thought they, you know, they would have the big prize at the end. And uh, but this is insensible; it's political. Now, the political impact, you know, if typically if politicians thought indictments and prosecutions would be helpful, they'd be lined up at the courthouse asking for them. But obviously, they're not. But right, as uh, someone pointed out to me the other day, you know, Trump's a different politician. So uh, I think, you know, ironically, many Americans may discount this. So who knows? Uh, because they see it's just, uh, you know, just more of the can't. It, the, you know, the Durham report just reminded people the Justice Department is irredeemably corrupt. So anything that comes out with respect to Trump, I think people will appropriately discount. However, and Fid- outrageous. Mm-hmm however outrageous and anti-constitutional and dangerous it is to the future Mm -hmm. of our republic.
2: Yeah, lamentably, that that seems to be the truth. Uh, It seems like we're turning the corner on new and uglier things that are more egregious each week, each day, in fact. Uh, Tom Fitton, I wanted you to um, just remind everybody about the work that you're doing at Judicial Watch and, again, give them the website and any social media handles so that they know how to find you.
0: Yeah, I mean, so
5: folks know, I mean, we sue the bad guys. We sue government to get records. We sue the government when they do things wrong. We represent whistleblowers. We're the number one government watchdog group in the country. And, you know, without us, a lot of what we know about all these big scandals, uh, you wouldn't know. And you can go and support us at uh, judicialwatch.org, judicialwatchfarmwork.org. For instance, it took a lot of money to pay for lawyers and to deal with this grand jury craziness. Money we'd rather be spending on lawsuits and and fighting the whole government accountable. And uh, I'm online at at Tom Fitton on Twitter. Of course, Judicial Watch is all over social media as well. So follow us, join our cause, join our movement and share the word.
2: All right, folks, you heard it here. Tom Fitton's president of Judicial Watch. Tom Fitton, I want to thank you for joining us and uh, giving us your side of the story i um, sorry about what happened to you as you were recovering, but I'm glad you you made it through it. You're a patriot, and we appreciate you being here. Thank you, Appreciate it. You bet. Folks, more to come straight ahead. Your calls and more. The phone number is 833-4-VALDEZ, 833, the number 4, VALDEZ.
1: This is America at Night with Rich VALDEZ. Call now, 833 Four Valdez. That's 833 482 5337. 833 4 Valdez. That's Valdez with an S.
3: and just to just you know make sure we clear the record here he tripped over uh, a, ba- a sandbag on the stage and b- briefly he tripped and got up and he he got got right back up and continued uh, continued what he was there to do he did not, uh, he, he, there was no need uh, for the doctor to see him uh, as it was related to the fall, and he's doing fine. You saw, most of some of you saw him last night when he returned, uh, getting off of Marine One on the South Lawn. Uh, he spoke to this, uh, so I would refer you back to his comments, and so I'll just leave it there.
2: All right, so that's White House uh, Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre, and KJP says what you just heard. No, 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 no. Listen, listen. He just tripped. He got sandbagged, as he said. Um, the only reason I think this is interesting again, I mean, she's obviously answering a question she was asked by a reporter who's concerned, uh, but she, doesn't she just sound so defensive? Right. I mean, it just sounds. She's like, look, listen. He. It was a sandbag. Okay. You've never tripped on a sandbag. Now, truth be told, I have these studio lights. Um, where when I do, like, television appearances and whatever, and, and one of them is secured with a sandbag. And I do trip on that, but I've never fallen that bad. Now, granted, I'm not as old as Joe Biden, but I've never fallen at all, honestly. I just trip, like, oh, shoot, I stub my toe, and I keep it moving. But it, it, it was quite the spill. And interesting to me, the way they... um they just they handle this. So, listen, no big deal. Every president stubs his toe on sandbags. What are you kidding me? What's wrong with you? How dare you? Anyway, uh, I want to go to the phones. Yeah, I want to check in with uh, Steve in Atlanta. Steve, welcome. WGKA. What's going on, my man? Hey, thanks for taking my call. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. What, let me ask I really you a quick question. It. Tell you, tell everybody, I guess, what you think of this um, Joe Biden tripping on the sandbag. What was your initial take on that? I have no, I have no, uh, no opinion on that. It's just an old man tripping on a
4: sandbag that he should have seen, but he can't see because he's got those, those, those sunglasses on and uh, he squints his eyes so so small because of his dementia. It's, it's a thing with people with dementia; they close their eyes. It, uh, light is uh, is harmful that right. hurts brain.
2: Uh, I don't have any opinion on that. I'm sorry. I didn't call about that. What's on your mind?
4: All right. So uh, I, I wish I would have gotten a response from Tom Fitton or gotten in. You, don't, you only had one caller at that time. so um, um, Tom Fitton, two years ago, was, um, was, was uh, visited by two uh, FBI agents. And what, what they were doing for the last five years, almost six, we're doing illegal uh, wiretaps, and it's not who you think it was. It was actually the DHS, Department of Homeland Security. They have a lot more leeway. They don't have to go through. Um, they don't have to go through um, anyway. So um, that's what he's. That's what. It, that's why he said it was just an expedition because they can't make him aware that he was illegally wiretapped. Yet they listened to his calls and they already knew about his phone calls and they wanted him to answer questions about it to admit to the phone calls. It has nothing to do with what anything he did wrong in it. They just wanted him to, I guess, admit to
2: something um,
4: a grand jury. Yeah, There's an
2: old saying, Steve, that when the feds ask you a question, it's because they already know the answer. I don't know if you know what you're saying ha- has validity to it or not, but it does fit with the old saying, right, that if they're asking, it's because they already know. Uh, interesting point. We'll have to research it on this end. I'm not sure how that works as far as I know you have to have due process. But again, they proved us wrong with that one when they were able to do it to uh, President Trump and candidate Trump and and everything they did with the people on his campaign in Trump Tower, etc., which uh, I think still is is uh, underreported. But thank you for your call, my brother. I appreciate it. I also wanted to make sure that everybody had a chance to hear this. Before there was KJP, there was Little Red Riding Hood, right? Um, I like to call her Jen circle Back pasaki and Silent P, of course. Jen circle Back pasaki Silent P, she... I was on MSNBC, right? That's where she works now. And she says that, look, the the problem here is that Republicans don't like Biden because of whatever policy reasons. But there are some rep- Republicans that actually do like Biden because he's an old white man. And that's what they're into. <laughs> Listen to this. What do you think it is about Joe Biden
3: is, it, is he so enraging to the right because he is so normal? What, what do you think it is about him that drives him nuts? Well, if you look back, Joy, to 2020, they were trying to figure out how to take him out. They right. can't make him extreme. Yeah. They can't really make him offensive. I mean, yeah. one, he's a white man who's... Yeah older. So, you know, he is comfortable to many in their base. The many in their base. Um, But I think also they have uh, underestimated him at many times, as you just said, as many people have. That's not necessarily a disadvantage to Joe Biden. I mean, I worked for him for a year and a half. He's always been underestimated. He's got a little bit of a chip on his shoulder because of that. That can serve you well. But I think they're just, they're trying to throw a lot of spaghetti up at the wall to try to take him down. And so far, they haven't quite figured it out. That's why, when you talk to a Republican strategist back in 2020 they would say we don't really want it to be joe biden yeah people aren't freaked out by him
2: so joe biden because he's an old white man he's uh many people in the republican base are comfortable with a joe biden i gotta tell you that's one that i haven't heard before but i have to say jen per circle back pasaki seems to be the one to, to me that's throwing up the spaghetti right when you start saying things like that like certain uh the Republican base, certain members of the Republican base are comfortable with Joe Biden because he's an older white man. I mean, are you are you really running away from every policy debate that's there? Or just is is that just how I see it? Because to me, it sounds like, you know, they're asking her one question. She's giving an answer to something else that seems to always end with. It's the old white man's fault. And I personally, I'm tired of this response. I really am. Come up with something better. Go back to pay your fair share and, you know, preaching communism, because uh, at least that's better and more fun to debate than this whole, well, it's because it's old white men, old white men, and old white men. I'm so tired of blaming old white men for just about everything. Come on. we. I think she needs to do better. MSNBC needs to do better. As a country, we need to do better. And stop blaming all the old white men. It's uh, it's not a valid argument in my opinion, right? I don't know. You let me know if I'm right or wrong. 8334 Valdez. 8334 Valdez.
1: This is America at night with Rich Valdez.
2: All right, America, welcome back. We're going to go to your calls right now. Eight three three four 4 valdez 833, the number 4, VALDEZ. Uh, let's go to Jay in Randolph, listening online to Rich Valdez, America at Night. Jay, welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez. Go right ahead.
7: Hey, thanks for taking my call. Uh, you bet. I just drove my drive
2: home from work,
7: and I heard you talking about blaming old white men and uh how it's not really we don't have an argument but Biden's been in office uh, in government for 50 years and he's an old white man and a lot of these problems came from him I mean I but, get what you're saying but
2: yeah but that would be more I think a problem of somebody who's a dinosaur in government who who's you know been in government and never really had a job outside of government cuz Trump's an old white man and I don't think we could blame him for everything because he's old and he's white. You can blame him for what he may have done in office, but you can't blame him or blame America's problems on him being old and being white, right?
7: Right, exactly.
2: So that's no, why I, I totally say it's not it. about being old and white. It's about being stupid and making bad choices.
7: It's a completely bad choices, just totally heading in the wrong direction.
2: Now, where is Randolph, New York?
7: If you go about 70 miles south, of Buffalo, towards the Pennsylvania border, you're there.
2: Oh wow! So that's uh, that's that's pretty up there. That means it's cold.
7: Yeah, we, we're yeah, we're above uh, above Warren, Pennsylvania, just a little bit to the to the east of Erie, Pennsylvania. That's kind of closer to where we're at.
2: Right, right. That, so, how far is that from High Point, New York?
7: High Point, uh. You got me on that one. I don't know because the high point that hit my brain was the motocross track, and that's, you know, down near West Virginia, so.
2: Ah, gotcha. Well, I want to thank you for calling in. I appreciate it. Um, I appreciate your listenership, and, of course, I appreciate you calling in as well. Uh, Big shout-out to Jay in Randolph, New York. Now, I also want to invite you guys to keep your calls coming all night long. We're going to continue our conversations. Uh, Next up, we're going to jump into a topic of divorce and remarriage and the prenuptial agreement with uh, Jennifer Hargrave. She's uh, a family attorney, and uh, this is an interesting one. You know, I've only been married once, but I have so many colleagues that have been married multiple times, and I've always wondered, when and how, you know? Like, you know, how do you broach the topic? Hey, babe, sign this. And by the way, here's a ring. I don't know how that works, but we're going to get to that straight ahead. 833-4-Valdez, the phone number. We're coming right back. It's America at Night with me, Rich Valdez. Don't move a muscle.
4: Find
1: out more by searching the Stacking Benjamins podcast wherever you listen. Hi
3: there. Sorry for the interruption, but are you enjoying this show on Google Podcasts? You should know that the Google Podcasts app is going away this spring. That's right, going away, gone, as in no longer available. You can still enjoy this show elsewhere, though. Try out Spotify or Amazon Music, or maybe TuneIn is more your style, whatever app you switch to. Be sure to follow so you never miss the next episode. And thanks for listening wherever you listen.
1: Live from the city that never sleeps.
2: Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media, your liberty-loving Latino amigo, and I'm happy to be with you guys tonight. Give us a call if you want to join our late-night national town hall forum the phone number is 833 the number four valdez 833 4 valdez and uh, a couple of stories i want to share with you a bunch of interesting news out there tonight uh some chinese spies disguised as tourists tried to enter a u.s military base we'll get to a little bit more on that at the top of the next hour when we um go through open phones um Then Kroger paid some of his employees bonuses and then asked for those bonuses back. We'll get to that in the next hour as well. And here's an interesting one. Louisiana State University has unveiled air-conditioned football helmets for their athletes. Now, that's something that I want to learn about because it's pretty cool. Finally... The Volkswagen van is back. Their iconic bus that kind of looked like the mystery machine from Scooby-Doo. Well, that's coming back, and they're bringing it back as an electric vehicle. So I don't know how that's going to work. If you're going to go long distances, I guess they'll have to do a lot of pit stops, but that's the case. Now, in other news, you've got Al Pacino, Scarface himself, the godfather, he is 83 years old, and he's now expecting baby number four. Now, his children range from 33 years old to newborn, but he's not alone because Robert De Niro has seven kids and just welcomed his seventh child. His children range from 46 years old, that's a year older than me, to newborn, and uh, De Niro is 79. So he's got him beat on kids, and he's a... Uh, Four years younger than Al Pacino. Uh, De Niro, I believe, is married. And Al Pacino um, is expecting baby number four with his girlfriend. Now, speaking of girlfriends, this is an interesting one here. Jeff Bezos of Amazon fame. He's um, announced uh, plans to get married again to, I think her name is Lauren Sanchez. Um, and he famously divorced his his ex-wife and she got half of his fortune becoming like the, the one of the richest women in the world uh, just becoming divorced. Very interesting. And I remember covering that story on the radio and I was like, man, some girls have all the luck. Anyway, so he's planning on remarrying And there are plans to sign a prenuptial agreement. Now, I've only been married once, and I've only been divorced once, and I've never signed any prenuptial agreement, so I don't know anything about this. And Jennifer Hargrave is an attorney, and she's going to play one on the radio tonight. She's a family law attorney, and her uh, specialty is in all things family law. Jennifer Hargrave, welcome.
10: Hi, thank you for having me.
2: Oh, it's my pleasure. And uh, I, I, I say that uh, because, A, because you are an attorney, but B, because the last <laughs> guest, I thought he was an attorney and I, the president of Judicial Watch. And I said, you know, I'm not an attorney, nor do I play one on the radio, but he is. And he's like, no, I'm not one either. And I was like, oh, boy, that's funny. <laughs> <laughs> so Jennifer Hargreave really is an attorney. And uh, I want I wanted to talk about this because while I don't really care what Jeff Bezos does, uh, I, I, I do think this is an interesting topic. And. Uh, I guess the question is, are prenuptial agreements uh, strictly a necessity for rich people or should regular people consider these if they're, you know, if they have some, you know, any type of assets at all?
10: Well, I'm so glad you're um, having this conversation because I think it's really important to talk about. And the first thing I'll say since I am a lawyer is I'm going to disclose that I have nothing to do with Jeff Bezos or Warren Sanchez, so I'm not their lawyer. Um, And, of course, I'm Mm -hmm. not giving legal advice tonight. But I do think it's really important for people to understand that when you get married, um, there is a whole set of laws that will apply based on the state that you live in to how you own property. And so um, people enter into marriage and don't really think about the legal ramifications and consequences for their property rights. And what a premarital agreement does is it allows a couple to define their rights, right? It's not just a blanket, you know, one size fits all, whatever the state says is what we're going to do. But it really gives them an opportunity to, you know, custom tailor the provisions that will apply to how they're going to handle their property during the marriage. So it is very advisable if you are wealthy (laughs) to have a premarital agreement um, before getting married. But there are other circumstances where it's really helpful as well. So if you have children from a prior marriage, if there's a huge disparity in the assets that you have. Um, those are good situations to be talking about a premarital agreement.
2: Now you're saying a huge disparity, like, uh, let's say I own a boat and a home in Miami and a home in New Jersey and some other property in New York. I'm not wealthy by any means, but if I have those things and I'm getting married to somebody who doesn't own a home, then because there's a disparity there, I should protect myself on the way in.
10: Yeah, absolutely, and really the, the – yeah, and the and the party who's um, – the spouse is coming into the marriage, if they don't have any assets, you know, there's a huge imbalance, and it, and it can really be a very constructive process. I mean, I think the typical way premarital agreements are done is, you know, um, they you know, the party with money goes to a lawyer, hires a lawyer, drafts this document, and throws it at the other side and says, here, sign this. And if they don't sign that they don't get married. And that's certainly a common way to do it. But there are better ways to do it, which is to really have a constructive conversation about the assets, about how they're going to be managed, about, you know, what happens in the event of death, what happens in the event of a divorce, you know, what kind of safety measures are there going to be in place for the party who doesn't have the assets. But, you know, maybe it's just uh, some money to move out of the house (laughs) that they don't own uh, when it comes time for a divorce. But there are other provisions as well. So it can help sort of at least give both people a sense of security in the marriage, which is a much better way to start a marriage.
2: Right. So kind of laying out the ground rules should there be uh, a need to make a move. And that's that's probably a good exactly. idea. You know, I can tell you that um, as you were saying that, in my head, I'm I'm divorced and I'm thinking – The only issues I had when I was getting divorced were would have been like the parenting agreement, parenting contract type of thing, where I wanted to maintain that lifestyle that my children had, and I don't mean financial, but I meant like upbringing, going to church, that type of thing. Sure, Uh, I wanted that, like it, you know, in stone. And it's probably a lot easier to get it when you're not getting divorced, right? When you're in a prenuptial, you sure. hey, I want yeah. to get married well, and I want to make sure our <laughs> kids do X, Y, and Z. And since you still like me and you don't hate me right now, let's do it. And it's probably easier and, to get uh, on the front end.
10: Yeah. That's the key point is it's a lot easier to negotiate um, what you want when you both like each other. <laughs> it's a lot more difficult mm-hmm. when you don't, um, but children issues are different. So, um, and I, I can't speak to all states. Every, every state has its own system. So I'm in Texas, so that's what I know well. Um, but we really can't contractually obligate parties with regard to the children that haven't been, well, especially if they haven't been born yet, because you don't yet know what's going to be in the best interest of the children. But people can still write out intentions. Um, they may not be legally binding, uh, but they can at least you know, express what their, what their goals are with regard to children.
2: Now and again, going I back, think the, Yeah. go ahead.
10: I was just saying, I think the important thing is that you're having these conversations ahead of the marriage. I know it's a novel idea, but you know, these are like important topics to be talking about. So whether you end up getting a premarital agreement or not, um, at least you know hitting on these really key topics is going to be really helpful to starting your marriage off right and avoiding the divorce la- lawyer later on. <laughs>
2: Right, and let me just remind our audience that uh, we're on with Jennifer Hargrave. She's a family law attorney, and if you want to join this conversation with uh, Jennifer and I, feel free. It's 833-4-VALDES, 833-4-VALDES. Now, let's uh, bring it back to Hollywood over here and talking about Bezos and his um, soon-to-be wife. Um, He... um, famously divorced his previous wife and she became incredibly wealthy and I guess she was already wealthy. She just, you know, walked away with what was hers, uh, in, in that divorce settlement. Uh, but it was, you know, some staggeringly, you know, um, large number. And I'm wondering, is it for the new wife? I mean, obviously I'm guessing she's going to say things like, you know, I love him. I'm not interested in his money, that type of thing. Um, is it very common That I uh, let me rephrase. So my conception of of these types of prenuptial agreements is, you know, let's say I'm Jeff Bezos. Uh, I'm thinking I'm protecting all of my stuff here. Everything that's mine is mine. And, you know, what we build together is ours. But what I have coming into this is mine. Is that typically how it works? Or do you have to, like, share a percentage or can you elect to share a percentage and say, look, you know, maybe a tenth of what I have is ours on the way in and we'll see what happens later.
10: Yeah. So again, this, this is going to vary widely state to state, but um, I know in Texas we're a community property state like California. So there may be some similarities, but you know, typically what you, what you earn during the marriage is community property or in other states may be called marital property. And so there's going to be some equitable division of the marital estate of what you, of what you earn. So the first Mrs. Bezos was of course part of building the Amazon empire. And so that was acquired during the marriage. Now, when um, Jeff goes to enter into a second marriage, you know, he's already acquired all of those assets. Um, But there can be parts of those assets, which in Texas, they would not be marital property. That would be separate property. So that would be his. Um, But some of those assets, I'm sure, are generating income for him, right? So if you've got dividends and interest, you've got rental properties with income coming off of that. Um, anytime you have income off of uh, an asset, in our system, that is um, considered community property or marital property. And so you can, without a premarital agreement, you can end up with all these commingled assets and get really, really complicated. And it's not just about a divorce, but it is, you know, in the event of death. And then he has children too. So it can, you know, you can end up with a state uh, like who, that is are it? being probated to be really complicated, and the families can end up at war, and so that's why it's really critical when you have assets, especially income-producing type assets, um, in in our state, that you you do consider a premarital agreement. Otherwise, it just gets really, really messy.
2: Right. All right, well, I want you to stand by right there. I want to continue this conversation with you, but we're going to take a quick pause. Folks, we're on with Jennifer Hargrave. She's a family lawyer out of Texas, and we're going to continue this conversation with her, plus your calls, 833-4-VALDES, 833-4-VALDES.
1: This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. With Rich Valdez.
2: All right, our guest is with us for one more segment. Jennifer Hargrave, family law attorney. And uh, we have a caller, Barry, from Nevada City, California, listening on KNCO. Barry, quickly, you're on with Jennifer Hargrave and Rich Valdez. Go right ahead.
5: How are you doing, Rich? The question is in California, I thought it was you couldn't give your rights away. So I was wondering how the prenups, if they're even legal.
2: Yeah. All right. Well, thank you. Interesting point. Uh, Jennifer Hargrave, anything that you could add uh, to that comment?
10: Yeah, um, I, I do believe they are legal in California. Um, most states have um, a, a system of law that recognizes the validity of premarital agreements. So I'm not quite sure what he means by giving his rights away, um, but you can certainly make contracts with regards to your property, just like, you know, if you're buying or selling a house or something, um, you, can, you can make those types of agreements with regard to your spouse.
2: Thank you, Barry. And Jennifer Hargrave, um, in your practice, and obviously don't give us any personal data about anything, but um, h- how often do you do these types of uh, prenuptial agreements? Is it a very common practice? Are more people doing it than not? Or is it uh, still something that you're telling people they should do or consider, and they're like, all right, I'll let you know?
10: Um, We get a fair amount of calls, um, inquiries about premarital agreements. And so usually what we'll do is sit down, we'll do a consultation with somebody and kind of look at their situation and help them determine whether the system of laws, that default system that we talked about, whether that's sufficient for them or whether it really makes sense to um, incur the expense of a premarital agreement. And, you know, we do, I mean, I do a fair amount of them for sure.
2: Is it your experience that they're typically um, successful? They do the job. They're helpful.
10: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, they have to be well drafted. So what I wouldn't do is encourage somebody to just download one off of um, a form because that's not necessarily going to be tailored to your set of circumstances. Um, But, a well-drafted premarital agreement? Yes, it is. They usually are binding. They do hold up in court. Um, In fact, in Texas, there's a presumption that they're binding. So you have to be really careful what you sign and make sure you understand it. And a well-drafted premarital agreement can really be a good and constructive way to begin a marriage. So I say that um, with the hope that hopefully they, they won't come back and need us in a divorce. But- Like we talked about, you know, I'm a romantic and um, marriages all end one way or another. So it's going to, they're going to end by death or divorce. And having a well drafted premarital agreement can just save a lot of headaches down the road.
2: That's a good way of looking at it. Now, um, (laughs) share a a, a war story, if you will, uh, or a really good story, either way. I'm just curious to know, like, you know, something I I may not have heard that I think our audience would enjoy hearing. Uh, it sounds like you have a lot of experience in this realm. And uh, whether it's a good one or a bad one, lay it on us.
10: Sure. I mean, like one of the one of the best experiences I had was um, a young couple. They were getting married and the son did not know that he had um, an estate for his family. There was a, a trust and it had never been discussed in his growing up years. And so his father um, had... Advised him that he, he now he had this trust. Now that he was getting married, he really needed to have a premarital agreement. And the reason why it was like a great story was because his wife hired um, a lawyer as well. And the, all together, we were able to really walk through, um, how, you know, different scenarios that they may encounter in their marriage, like having children or moving, and talk about different ways to address that. Um, and what happens if he were to die and she's living on his property? What kind of property rights would she have? So I think it was a really positive experience for both of them. Um, yeah. You know, the scenarios that are kind of cringy are the ones where, you know, a premarital agreement is given two nights before the wedding. And that's a really mm. horrible way to start a marriage. And I don't recommend that anybody do that. Um, it sounds scary like and stressful. A- exactly and you're if you're trying to pull one over on your spouse um, it's not it's just you know not a great not a good to start look. marriage
2: i agree no. jennifer hargrave let everybody know how they could uh, um, get in touch with you follow the work you're doing catch up with you online etc
10: absolutely um, you can find out more about our firm at www.hargravefamilylaw.com we're in Dallas Texas um also we have a great youtube channel Um, If you look us up at Hargrave Family Law, we've interviewed lots of guests and spoken about a whole variety of topics touching on divorce, in custody, and premarital agreements.
2: Outstanding. Well, I want to thank you for joining us. Uh, Definitely not the most comfortable topic to discuss, but one that's necessary (laughs) nonetheless. And, And you made it as painless as possible. Jennifer Hargrave, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Rich. You're welcome. Have a great weekend. All right, folks, more to come straight ahead. Uh, I don't know if you guys remember the Sutherland Springs shooting at the uh, at the church. I believe this was that shooting. Um, well, Stephen Williford, who was the hero there, he joins us next. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. We were talking about a story about the um, Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms making some announcements, and uh, there was all this controversy over, you know, people with um, medical medical marijuana ID cards and pot users in general um, calling into question whether they would be able to purchase firearms. And my initial reaction to that was, When they started to legalize marijuana in different states, that was the first thing I thought was if you get one of those ID cards where you're allowed to go to the dispensary and and purchase your marijuana, for me, that seemed like the gateway drug that the government would use because they're addicted to power to say, oh, well, you know, you've got this and you've got that. And this is why you're not going to be able to purchase a firearm infringing on somebody's Second Amendment rights. And nothing happened initially, but it seems to be that's the direction they want to go in now. At least that's my understanding of it, and we're going to get a better understanding of it in a moment with our guest. He's from Gun Owners of America, and he's got a brand-new book that I, I would recommend you reading. Buy a couple of copies, one for yourself and one to give away. It's called A Town Called Sutherland Springs, Faith and Heroism Through Tragedy and uh, I know it's quite a story because I remember when this all occurred and I saw the, the news reports of it, uh, but Stephen Williford is our guest. Stephen Williford, welcome. Thanks for having me on your show. It's great to be here tonight. Thank you, sir. I appreciate you joining us. So let's um, first, I guess, talk about the book and, and really your story overall. I think it's a riveting story of, of you know, just – life and how life unfolded that day for you and and uh, the heroism that went along with it. So um, tell us a little bit about the story and I guess the namesake of the book.
6: Well, uh, Sutherland Springs, Texas is a little bitty small town in south central Texas. Uh, we're under 600 total population. And I'm fourth generation in that town. And when when the book's title subtitle about heroism, it's not necessarily about me, it's about my whole town. It it's about the people that were in the church. A guy came in and started shooting up the church and started murdering people. And I ran was made aware of it by my daughter. I ran to my safe. I grabbed my AR fifteen and ran across the street barefoot and confronted a shooter that had all Class Three body armor ballistic bulletproof helmet and I had a shootout with him and he hit the truck in front of me. I I ran behind the truck to cover. He hit the truck in front of me, shattered the windshield of the car behind me and he hit the house behind me. I was able to put six out of six rounds on him. He got in his vehicle, slammed the door and and took two rounds through the side window. I put one, broke across his forehead, he accelerated, turned the corner, and was running away as fast as he could. And I put one through the back windshield and it went through the driver's side seat, hit him right at the left shoulder blade. But again, he had on class three body armor, and ballistic bulletproof helmet. He topped the hill, I flagged down a vehicle, and we chased him 11.6 miles, and in the end, he committed suicide.
2: I'm okay with that. And me too. And so to get the story straight, you live across the street from the church. Your daughter was at the church calls her dad for help. You come to the rescue and she was, she was in the house
6: with me and she heard the shooting and made me aware of it. And I ran across the street, uh, and confronted the shooter. And, uh, it, it, You know, there were heroes in the church. There were heroes that came to save the church. There were all kinds of of heroic deeds that day. And uh, I I was just one of them. Uh, Again, it, it was a horrible, horrible day in Sutherland Springs. But this community is like Mayberry, USA. Uh, we we love each other we we grew up together, we know each other and, and we struggle together and uh it is just an honor to be part of Sutherland
2: Springs now, Stephen Williford, how do you respond when someone tells you that um you know you should, oh, AR-15. It's a weapon of war, and this isn't something that anybody should have. What is it that you're hunting? If you have an AR-15, nobody should have an AR-15 unless they're looking to hunt people.
6: And that is actually so untrue. Uh, first off, uh, ha- he had on class three body armor, ballistic proof, bulletproof helmet. Had I had anything other than an AR-15, if I had run across the street with a nine millimeter pistol in my hand. I would have been in trouble because he had an ar and multiple pistols too all of them loaded he had already dropped 15 30 round magazines in and around the church i would have been outgunned had i not had something to be able to fight back with uh and as far as this thing with them trying to stop people that use marijuana uh from buying guns how about alcohol You know, I mean, Mm -hmm. if they're going to make it legal, then you have the right to defend yourself, you know, and if your state makes marijuana legal, then you still should have the right to be able to defend yourself. You should be able to have the right to defend your family, your your neighborhood, and your country even against a tyrannical government. Make no mistake, the mu- worst mass murders there are in this world is governments gone rogue, and that's what the Second Amendment was about. And, right? You know, Hunter Biden right now. It's funny that Hunter Biden uh, is—they're talking about indicting him for lying on a form because he was addicted to crack cocaine at the time when he bought a gun, and he lied on the form. And Hunter Biden's using. The Bruin decision and the Heller decision to fight that in court and isn't that ridiculous and so they they want to use the Second Amendment when it comes to them, but they don't want to, us using the Second Amendment uh, when it comes to us and no, you know
2: I, I want to pause no. right there Stephen williford if you don't mind uh i just want to remind everybody we're on with Stephen williford gun owners of america he's the author of the book you don't want to miss this book uh it's a town called sutherland springs faith and heroism through tragedy we're going to come right back and discuss the um hunter biden debacle because uh, you raised a good point there and i want to get a little bit more on your opinion with this um, preventing people from their second amendment, right? Because they smoke pot. I I don't personally smoke pot. um, But I I don't see how one is kind of supersedes the other Uh, to me. I agree with you. It's like, there's lots of things you could do to impair yourself. Just don't shoot while impaired folks don't go anywhere. We're on with Stephen Williford. I am rich Valdez, our phone number eight, three, three, four Valdez, eight, three, three, four Valdez. We're coming right back.
1: This is America at Night, with Rich Valdez. America at Night, with Rich Valdez.
2: All right, America, welcome back. It's Rich Valdez. Our guest is Stephen Williford. He's from Gun Owners of America, and he's also a native of Sutherland Springs, Texas. As you'll recall, that was uh, the site of a mass shooting in 2017. And uh, he outlines this in his book, A Town Called Sutherland Springs, Faith and Heroism Through Tragedy. And that's by uh, Stephen Williford. Uh, Stephen you shared with us and are sharing with us this riveting story of how you tried to help the people in your community and how they rose to this challenge. And they were all heroes to deal with something that was horrible, right? This crazy mass murderer wearing ballistic, uh, uh, bulletproof armor. And it's, it's a nightmare, right? I think people think about it. They hear about it in the news. It's not something that they think that they'll go through. Uh, but yet there, you went through it. What, uh, and I know you wrote about this in the book, but tell us, um, I guess what part of the book hits closest to home for you?
6: Well, uh, in the book, we do basically a, a eulogy for, the people that were lost we asked their family members and we interviewed them what they what the family members wanted the rest of the world to know about their loved one that died at the church and so we we did interviews with them and i'm co-author of it my daughter wrote wrote it uh and with my stories and stuff so my daughter rachel howe is co-author of the book and we did very a lot of interviews, and that it was it was so um, heart wrenching to go through this and to realize. So you get to know these people and who they were in the book, and we don't ever want anyone to forget who they were, and that was the part of the book that really uh, hits home for me. You know, it puts names and faces to these people, these neighbors and friends of ours. And again, I'm fourth generation on the same property Mm
11: -hmm. in
6: Sutherland Springs. uh, And uh, all three of my children are building houses on the property and all eight of my grandchildren now are living on the property. And so Sutherland Springs is my home and it was attacked that day. And, and, it's all about the faith of our community that helped rebuild it and, uh, and moving forward. And it's about how God uh, planned ahead of time for this.
2: (coughs) So. Now, I want to thank you for your act of heroism and and for doing what you did because I think it, it helped to put an end to a horrible situation. Uh, But, you, earlier you brought up the the current controversy with the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms saying that because marijuana is still a uh, controlled substance uh, on the federal schedule, they're uh, not allowing marijuana users to buy guns in states where pot is legal because of that restriction. Um, I agree with you in terms of you know what you brought up, but how does this end up? Is somebody going to have to to sue the federal government? Um, do they have to lobby the federal government to remove the classification on marijuana? What, what do you think the next step is going to be?
6: Well, I, I personally think that the ATF is being put in its place right now with the pistol brace ban, with the bump stock bans, and everything. Our lawsuits are are going to go all the way to the Supreme Court, and we're going to get a lot of this removed. And And the ATF doesn't have the right or the ability to make law. Uh, most people don't understand that the ATF is part of the executive branch. And the executive branch is under the president. Mm-hmm. But what? who makes the laws in the, this nation? is the legislative branch, which is our state, our House, and our, our, our Senate. And so these alphabet agencies like the ATF can't make and redefine laws that make criminals out of people just at a stroke of their pen. They can't do that. That's not within their power. And uh, they're, they're making decisions right now that is not theirs to be made and we've got to stay on, on the pistol brace ban here in the Fifth Circuit Court here in Texas right now. And again, that works with the, we have overturned the pistol the bump stock ban in the Fifth and in the Sixth Circuit Court here in, Tex, in Texas and Tennessee and that area with the Sixth Circuit. And we're fighting these fights all the way to the Supreme Court. So the ATF just can't decide that they're going to make these decisions and enforce it and put people in jail or deny them their Second Amendment right. They can't just do that. That's not what our Constitution is all about. And no. so mm-hmm. gun owners, gunowners.org, you can go and you can sign up uh, to, to be a member and get in the fight. And just so you and your audience know, I'm not necessarily for making marijuana illegal or any other uh, drug illegal. I'm not for that necessarily. But if your state says that it's legal, and for whatever reason, it is not legal here in Texas still, but if your state makes it legal, to own or to use marijuana for recreational use and stuff, then, you know, that shouldn't have any bearing on your right to bear to bear arms any more than alcohol does. You know, and in so many ways, alcohol kills more people with drunk driving and, and destroys family than marijuana does. So why can... It'd be okay to own a gun if you uh, drink alcohol. Buy right. To buy a beer, right. Buy a beer. And now all of a sudden, because you smoked a joint last week or something, oh, we can't let you own a gun uh, to defend yourself. So this is an inalienable right, which means it's a God-given right. The Second Amendment doesn't grant us the right to own a gun. No, what the Second Amendment does is it prevents the government from infringing on a God-given right to self-defense and self-preservation. And right along with all of our Bill of Rights, you know, to freedom of speech and freedom of religion and freedom of the press, you know, these are God-given rights. Our Bill of Rights are set out— and they are the one thing that the federal government is supposed to keep its hands off of. All right, let's Everything hold it wrong. right
2: there. Uh, you're on a roll, but i got to take a quick pause when we come back. We're going to let everybody know how to get the book and how to keep up with the work you're doing with Gun Owners of America. Folks, we're on with Stephen Williford. I am Rich Valdez. Remember, Open Phone America is coming up. Start your calls. You can put them in right now. We're coming right back. 833 4 Valdez.
1: This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDES. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDES. That's Valdez with an S. Rich
2: Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. Our guest is Stephen Williford. He's with Gun Owners of America, and uh, he wrote uh, about his own harrowing tale where he um, took on a shooter in a church, a mass shooter who was murdering people at the church across the street from his home in Sutherland Springs, Texas. Uh, he's written a book about it. It's called A Town Called Sutherland Springs, Faith and Heroism Through Tragedy. I recommend getting the book. You can get it wherever you get books and uh, get a copy for yourself, a copy to give away. It's a really riveting story. Stephen Williford, let everybody know uh, where you recommend they get this book and how they can uh, follow you on social media or your website.
6: Go to Amazon.com. Uh, Amazon.com will have the book and just type in for the search a town called Sutherland Springs and uh, you can find me at thebarefootdefender.com and that's my personal website. You can also find a link at The Barefoot Defender to the book and please go to gunowners.org and Sign up to be a member. It's only twenty five dollars for a year's membership. Uh, you can sign up. And this latest thing that happened said that all yep. with the pistol brace said that any member of GOA is is exempt from it until it figures out in the court.
2: Stephen Williford, we got to leave it right there. Thank you for being on with us tonight. Godspeed to you. And folks, get a copy of the book, a town called Sutherland Springs: Faith and Heroism Through Tragedy. God bless you, my brother. Folks, stick around. Open Phone America's coming up right now. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Your liberty-loving Latino amigo, happy to be chatting with you tonight. Um, Take down the number, it's 833, the number 4, Valdez, V-A-L-D-E-S. Just put it on your phone dial, 833-4-VALDEZ, or you can always call us on our Legacy Line 86650 Jimbo. 86650 Jimbo. That'll always be there, and I love that number. Uh, anyway, I want to uh, welcome you to the program. Of course, it's hour number three. We're here on the East Coast. If you're listening on the West Coast, uh, welcome. It's still hour number three. It's just earlier, and it's still Friday over there. But we're officially now in Saturday. Always messes me up. Anyway, I want to get into this story, I mentioned it before and very interesting. These Chinese uh, spies were disguised as tourists and trying to enter an Alaskan military base. Now these individuals are suspected Chinese spies disguised as tourists and they've repeatedly attempted to enter U.S. military bases in Alaska in recent years and that's according to uh, service members. The Chinese military, or I should say Chinese citizens, have, um, I don't know if they're with the Chinese military or not, I don't want to be too presumptuous, the Chinese citizens that were apprehended have been apprehended with, um, because they were trying to gain entry at Fort Wainwright in Fairbanks, Alaska, and where soldiers on one occasion searched their vehicle, um... Next time they came around, they blew past the checkpoint, and they found a drone inside the car once they did you know, catch up and uh, check the car out. So that was uh, according to some troops who spoke with USA Today. This is being reported in the New York Post as well. So interesting stuff here. Now, the story goes on. Uh, Many of the foreign nationals claim to have gotten lost while driving around and taking in the sights of the last frontier where the U.S. houses uh, very sensitive military capabilities at the nation's closest point to uh, adversaries in Russia and North Korea and China. So fascinating how the Chinese are over there. People think they're going to attack. They're going to attack. Well, it seems if they are going to attack, they're likely going to attack Alaska. And that's where they seem to be doing a lot of their spying. And again, I'm just uh, speculating here. I don't think they're attacking anybody, but I think they always have an interest wherever they can, you know, they get in where they fit in. How about that? Um, here's a quote from Deputy Defense Secretary Kathleen Hicks. She says, we take the safety and security of our people in our installations very seriously. And uh, that was in response to these um, Chinese spies. So we'll keep you up to speed on what's going on there. But this is definitely not cool, right? I mean, to say the least, not cool in the least. And obviously, we always have this threat, this possibility that we can be infiltrated by the bad guys. But it's our expectation that we have intelligence officials and people that are being proactive working to secure our homeland. Sadly, we see that at the border, we're not, secure. Now we're seeing at our military bases, we're not as secure as uh, as, at least as I would think we should be. And this is indeed a thing, no matter how you slice it. Now, of course, this news comes at a time where we've got a lot of tension uh, between Russia, Ukraine, China's aggression towards Taiwan, and uh, a whole lot of things that keep happening in the South China Sea as well. So To me, it just seems like it's unending, right? It just doesn't stop. China is on the move. They're on the move. Wherever they can be on the move, they are. And the United States, not moving much. In fact, the United States is um, just sitting tight. And again, I don't want to use Biden uh, slip and fall with the sandbag or whatever as, you know, something detrimental to our national security, but I don't think it portrays strength. I think it sends a message of weakness. And weakness is the last thing I think you want to portray when you have a situation where your adversaries, enemies, and those that hate you, like uh, the crazies in Iran, death to America. So not a good look when you have those guys looking at us trying to destroy us. I want to get to your calls momentarily, 8334-VALDES, 8334-V-A-L-D-E-S. Uh, but first, I want to play you this uh, short montage of, it's a mashup of the reaction to Trump walking down that ramp at a outdoor graduation during his term. And President Biden doing his slip and fall and uh, then being, you know, helped up and walking off as well. And again, this is not to ridicule Biden uh, as much as I like to ridicule him and call him Joe El Baboso Biden. This is really about an indictment on the media, right? This is really about ridiculing the media. This is really about just... Making sure that I do my due diligence to let everybody know that I think that the, their treatment of Trump, and this is nothing that you don't know, right? This is preaching to the choir, but it's got to be done because it's, it's amazing to see how they do this stuff. Listen to this.
3: The White House says President Biden is fine tonight, hours after he tripped and fell during a graduation ceremony at the Air Force Academy. The president is fine.
4: He's fine. As the president simply tripped. Falls are really common. This is not some sort of
3: uh, ominous talisman about his medical condition. Everything seems to be totally fine, uh, just a, a misplaced sandbag. We will show you in the corner of a screen, see there's a sandbags, And, you know, it's the advanced team or whoever's fault that they put a sandbag in front of him. his staff should, uh, you know, make sure there aren't obstacles like sandbags in his way. Twitter and the writer are going crazy. It's currently dominating Fox News primetime. Tonight, new questions about President Trump's health after this walk down a ramp at West Point's graduation ceremony this weekend. His halting journey down a ramp. New questions about his health, where he cautiously descended a ramp. The
10: nation in crisis and the president tweeting about his walk
3: down a ramp is where we start today. The president also raised some questions during his West Point speech after taking a moment to, to sip some water. It was
4: lacking the, the strength to raise the water glass.
10: There he was. The video's up now, struggling. He takes one step with his left foot and then the right foot comes and meets the left
4: foot. Well, it's more than uh, just the way he walked, Aaron. He doesn't look right.
3: This is not the first time the president has had difficulty walking down ramps. His speech
4: has become very, very slow, as if he's struggling to read from the teleprompter. Stumble for stumble, uh, Donald Trump seems to be right in line with Joe Biden or in many cases
8: even worse.
2: All right. Now, again, I bring it up because I just think it's fascinating. It really is to see how on everything, whether it's policy, whether it's uh, you name it, they will figure out a way to crucify Trump and to just, oh, no, no, nothing to see here when it comes to Biden. Remarkable. It really is remarkable. So uh, I just wanted to play that for you because I remember when this happened and and Trump was um, doing that event at West Point. It was outdoors. He was really hot. I remember his hand uh, shook a little bit when he put the cup under the podium. And they were saying, oh, my gosh, you know, I mean, some people went as far as say it was the beginning of Parkinson's. It was this, it was that. It, it was really just crazy uh, the way that went down. And uh, the reality is things happen. But they seem a lot more understanding when things happen to Biden than when they happen to Trump. Anyway, I want to get your reaction to that and everything else we've been discussing tonight, whether it was uh, prenups for Bezos, uh, the story of uh, the barefoot defender. We just heard that one, Stephen Williford. And, of course, um, we've heard about how Tom Fitton was visited uh, by the FBI so that he could uh, testify in the grand jury uh, investigating former President Trump for having Classified documents. So lots to discuss. 833 4 Valdez. 833, the number 4, Valdez.
1: This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now. 833 4 Valdez. That's 833 482 5337. 833 4 Valdez. That's Valdez with an S. Three seven eight three three four Valdes. That's Valdes with an S.
2: All right, welcome back. We're going to get to your calls right now. Um, let's go to Frank in Evergreen, Montana. K O F I Frank. Thanks for calling in, my brother. What's going on tonight?
9: Oh, got a couple things. And first off, I want to start off with head concussions and how it affects. Your balance. Some people get vertigo uh, from when the, these little ear rocks in your inner ear called calcium carbonate crystals dislodge and go into your ear canal and your center of gravity gets into kind of a spin and it feels like when you sit down or go to bed and the whole room is spinning and uh, yeah and-
2: yeah i just want to chime in there now it, it you, and i think you're 100% right here and this is why I, I make fun of biden but not a lot right i don't go too hard on him because i know that he had open brain surgery for some sort of uh, encephalopathy um, uh, or encephalitis that he had a long time ago and uh due to an aneurysm and you're right when that happens some of the effects of that um mimic that of of uh, vertigo, where you may lose your balance, and and I only know this because my dad had a traumatic brain injury, and he had some of those same symptoms. And it's the the long pauses. Um, it, in effect, this is just like the early onset of dementia. It's a similar. thing. Doesn't mean he doesn't have it. Just means that he has it all the time because of a of a of a brain surgery. So I think that's a very good point.
9: Uh, well, another thing uh, with with forest fires. Uh, when they're discriminating who can fight on a fire, like they'll have like a step test, which was invented back in the sixties, where they would uh, take your pulse after taking a step test of, of like stepping up on a, a platform, 16 inches high and then stepping back down in uh for five minutes and then take your pulse and then your blood pressure. And then they they'd, they'd They'd uh, have statistics of all these employees in the Forest Service uh, up to the age of 40, and they would uh, pretty much get their age, sex, weight, height, and uh, work on those figures. And the leaders of the hotshot crews had to retire at the age of 40. There was no way around it.
2: Sounds like the NFL
9: yeah anyway you know, the, the army the navy they didn't want people uh, joining after thirty five Washington right. when he was president he uh, the president's age had to be thirty five because that was about the the age of the life expectancy of a male at that time
2: yeah, well, that makes a ton of sense now tell me about um Your thoughts. Uh, Do you think so? Do you think Biden was having vertigo? Do you think it was a sandbag? Do you think he's just unfit for the job because he's too old? Or is it okay? That's normal behavior for an old guy and it's okay to have old guys as president.
9: Well, I'm not saying that old guys can't be president, but uh, I don't think that nor am I. He's if if he has that vertigo problem he's he's treating it right he's not doing his therapy and there is a treatment for that and so you can you can cure it in one day if that's what all it is but if that's not what it is then his doctors aren't helping him and uh, they should uh, get someone in there to to do the job that's healthy
2: yeah now um quick take i want your quick hot take On Al Pacino having a baby at 83 years old, if he were married, should he get a prenup?
9: Good God. I don't want to go there. It's Looney Tunes City.
2: (laughs) Thanks, Frank. I appreciate it. All right. Let us uh, continue. I want to go to Chris in Gig Harbor, Washington, listening on KUMA out of Oregon. Chris, welcome. Hi. What's on your I'm, mind tonight?
11: I'm very uh, shocked because i spoken with one of my drivers. I was an officer in the Army. Never heard of Karl Marx. Didn't know that's where Marxism came from. Mm-hmm. And talked spoke to my wife about it. And she's 10 years younger. And... She didn't know anything about Carl Marx either. And it, it surprises me that people have no idea what Carl Marx was and who he is today.
2: All right. Do you have a case in point that you want to share with us? Yeah. Well, hurry up. It's only a three-hour show and there's only a half hour left.
11: <laughs> Sorry, everything today has taught me that our educational system is so screwed up that people don't know who the. Oh, I see are. what
2: you're saying. I got you. So you're saying Marxism's all over the place. We're in the middle of a a a cultural Marxist revolution in many ways, and yet nobody knows who this guy is. Yet he's had this incredibly significant impact on 20th century thinking.
11: Absolutely.
2: Yeah, yeah. My, one of my mentors, the great one, Mark Levin, he, he wrote uh, his last book. Um, what's the last book called? American Marxism. <laughs> and it, it's an excellent uh, dive into this on how it happened. Uh, another um, excellent book is called The Devil and Karl Marx um, by uh, the professor from Grove City. And this book is terrific. And, and the, re- the reason I think it's terrific is he cites a lot of old uh, quotes from Marx, where Marx himself, as a young man, as a young journalist, he said that he had to forfeit his soul because for the work of his life to be completed, he would not be eligible for heaven, right? Just interesting things that, that Marx uh, himself said, um, which I find, you know, fascinating. And it's interesting to me because oftentimes people will say, well, no, it's an economic system. This has nothing to do with anything. If 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 it didn't have anything to do with anything, then why would Marx talk about it, right? Why did he bring up forfeiting one's soul, right? It, it was him who brought these things up, not me. So I, I think uh, you're on to an excellent point. We have to know what we're talking about. And you're right, our education system today um, public education, who, in, in my opinion, there, many of them are Marxists, um, they, they've left this out. They, they teach it in college, they embrace it in college, but they show you how to do it, And they don't make it a bad thing. And I guess that's because people uh, associate the word Marxism with something bad. But they try to sell you the idea as if it's something good by saying, you know, your fair share and blah, 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 and trying to soften the blow of collectivism here in America. Uh, Excellent point, Chris. Thank you for the call. I appreciate it. It's great to see that there's some great patriots like you out there on the West Coast. I know there's many. And I'm glad you're calling in. Folks, we're going to continue with your calls and more straight ahead. 833 482 5337. 833 4 Valdez is the number. Don't go anywhere. We're coming right back.
1: Eight three three four Valdes. That's Valdez with an S.
2: All right, America, welcome back. I am Rich Valdez. Happy to be here with you. Our phone number is eight three three four eight two five three three seven. If you do plan on calling, do it soon. There's only like eighteen minutes left. But before we get into that, actually, it's more like uh, twenty eight. But anyway. I don't do math professionally. That's why I do radio. I want to talk about President Biden, right? I wanted to talk about this at the top of the first hour because he gave an address tonight from the Oval Office where he was talking about the victory, right? He took his victory lap on the debt ceiling deal that he cut with McCarthy. Biden had plenty to say, and I want you to hear a little bit of that. Listen to this.
8: This is vital. Because, uh, because it's essential to the progress we've made over the last few years is keeping full faith and credit of the United States of America and passing a budget that continues to grow our economy and reflects our values as a nation. Passing this budget agreement was critical. The stakes could not have been higher. If we had failed to reach an agreement on the budget, there were extreme voices threatening to take America for the first time in our 247-year history into default.
2: So Biden says that we were going to go. We were never going into default. I think I made that very clear. I told you you were going to get your Social Security. I was right all along. Uh, bet on me. In Spanish, you say yeah about that. me because I I know what I'm talking about when it came to this thing. Uh, this guy is a fake, phony, fraud. When he was lying about Social Security, trying to scare every last person that has worked for decades upon decades that relies on their Social Security check every month. Joe Biden was trying to scare the bejesus out of you, and that's wrong, and. I think it's uh, not only wrong I think it's ill-spirited I think it's unfair it's you know, even in uh you know all's fair in love and war I think uh this is a violation shouldn't have, he shouldn't have done it you shouldn't scare people don't scare people that are senior citizens and don't scare people uh scare people regarding children I think it's that's uh, a no no each in every time uh but he didn't stop there he went on with his victory lap listen to this
8: I want to commend Senator Speaker McCarthy you know uh, he and I Uh, We uh, and our teams we were able to get along, get things done. We were straightforward with one another, completely honest with one another, respectful with one another. Both sides operated in good faith. Both sides kept their word. The final vote in both chambers was overwhelming, far more bipartisan than anyone thought was possible. So I want to thank the members of Congress who voted to pass this agreement, which I'm going to sign tomorrow
2: that is President Joe El Baboso Biden. Of course, Baboso, if you don't know what it means, Google it. Uh, But that was him taking his victory lap. So I want to get back to your calls, get your reactions to Joe El Baboso Biden and all of his babosadas. 833-482-5337. Let's go to Kim calling us from Michigan, listening online. Go right ahead.
3: Hi, Rich. Hey, uh, Kim. As far as I hi, as far as I recall, President Trump never fell, and Biden's fallen several times. And I'm really disgusted with Biden's arrogance. And you just played it. Um, he's he's so arrogant that he got this deal, and it's so great. He only got it because Kevin McCarthy backs stabbed the whole Republican party. He did a bunch of dirty stuff behind the doors and he, now there's no limit on our debt. And I heard on my shows that Marjorie Taylor green went along with it. And Steve Scalise, these were all people I really liked. And a lot of these turncoats sided with the other side. I just, I really, I don't get it.
2: You know, do you? Well, let me let me try to help you make some sense of it, right? Because I I don't believe that Kevin McCarthy sold us out. I I believe that he may not have gotten the best deal that I would have liked to have gotten, but I don't think that we can we can look at it that way. I I just don't, and and I'll tell you why, Kim. Because I I feel that when you you have to govern and. It's not always easy. I guess it's kind of like being a parent in some ways. You know, sometimes you you can't beat the crap out of your kid every single time they do something bad. Many parents never beat their children ever. Right. And I guess that's an extreme example. But I'm trying to make an extreme point, which is there are going to be situations in government where we don't like the outcome. Uh, And I'm not saying we have to like this. Uh, I just don't think that they are traitors or turncoats or anything like that because they voted – For McCarthy's deal, I think in many ways, uh, when we look at the grand scheme of things where you have a majority of people in the House that are Republicans and only 71 of them didn't vote, uh, I called each and every one of those 71 out by name to congratulate them for not voting for it because I thought that was a principled stand that they'd taken. However, I'm not going to call out the rest of the 300 and whatever uh, of them that did, because I don't think they did it with any malice. I don't think they did it to hurt America. I think they did. It was we we either do this or we we're going to be screwed. And it's part of the tough decisions that come your way when, when I think you serve in these types of positions. So, I mean, that's my take on it. It's not a defense uh, of theirs in any way. It's just really more of a, uh, an explanation of why things happen. Uh, and and I only know stuff like that because I, I served in government and I, I saw Governor Christie make decisions in New Jersey that were not always the most popular. And, again, not something you want to defend or 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 beat up per se, but definitely something you have to just make sense of. And oftentimes it was the best path forward. There wasn't a better option. And I, I don't think McCarthy had too many more plays. The more I look at this and the more people I speak with, the less, I think there was a better deal coming his way. Um, Again, debatable. Um, Maybe I'm wrong on that one, but that's kind of where I'm landing on this. I think he got the best deal he could get because, Going into Congress, he had his conference, right? And they were split on this. But going into the Senate, this bill was positioned to die because if it didn't make certain people happy like the Democrats, and guess what? It wasn't like McConnell was on their side. He's, now, he's a real turncoat. So another one that could have tanked this bill. So you had Schumer and McConnell and uh, Jeffries and Biden. That's a lot of people that you have to um, work with in order to get a compromise. So I think Biden um, did not get the better end of the deal. He said he wasn't going to negotiate and he ended up negotiating. Uh, he said there weren't going to be any, any cuts. Now it's true what you're saying. There's bad stuff in the bill, All right. We, we do have like unlimited spending between now and 2025 and the caps that are there can be waived. So they're not even real. I get that. And I don't support that. And I think it sucks, but, At the same time, I don't know if they could have done better, and that's just really where I'm at. Thank you very much, Kim. Um, I appreciate your insight on that, and it's a tough one to swallow for sure. Let's uh, continue here. Let's go to Don in Grass Valley, California, KNCO. Don, you're on with Rich Valdez. Go right ahead.
4: Yeah, uh, we were talking about those Chinese up there in Alaska. We don't have to worry about the Chinese. We got traitors right here in the United States, and some of them are in the FBI. You got criminals in your FBI. Uh And there's been several people like this, uh, uh, Dick Norris, when he was on Jim Bohannon's show, when the last thing he said in his last segment was, The FBI is criminal. Now, I turned in uh, America's most wanted. uh, Islamic terrorist who was born in the United States. His name was Jihad Sirwin Mustafa. $5 million reward. My reward was stolen by two federal officers, a
2: female FBI agent. Her name is Pearl Curtis. Well, I don't want to get into that. I don't want to make allegations. I don't know anything about the story. But you're right. There are criminals in our government. And uh, we've seen that happen. I mean, we just had a report by the special counsel saying that they broke the law to spy on former President Trump. And again, there was you know speculation of that, and it was proven, and now there's a whole report on it that everybody can read, the special counsel report that was highly um, anticipated. And while uh, nobody got charged with anything other than the guy that falsified the email so that they could get the surveillance, again, totally fake and phony and fraud, uh, it, it doesn't mean that that's not on the record forever and a day. And my kids' kids and their kids' kids and everybody's kids' kids are going to be able to look back at this report and go, wow. So it was true. Trump didn't pee on a Russian hooker. Trump wasn't in bed with Russia. The whole thing was made up and paid for by the Clinton campaign working through a law firm. And – supported by the FBI who was actually going to pay a million dollars to Christopher Steele to perpetuate this lie. That really happened and there's proof all over the place that it happened. And it's it's a shame. So for anybody to say that there's not liars and and uh, partisan people inside the FBI trying to work against their political opponents in this case Donald Trump, um, then you're crazy, right? Uh, Excellent point that that there are criminals. Um, I'm being told I have to take a break, but when we come back, we're going to go to my old stomping grounds, North Bergen, New Jersey. We've got a call from there coming in. Plus, we've got a call from Jefferson City, Missouri. So much to discuss, so little time. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez.
1: This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with
2: an S. All right, so there's a story here. According to the Associated Press, take it for what it's worth, Utah is now, uh, well, a district in Utah, excuse me, is banning the Bible in elementary and middle schools due to vulgarity or violence. Obviously, this is folks on the left uh, that are fighting back because they're saying, oh, so you want to get rid of books where, you know, teachers are engaging in sexual activity with students. Well, that's just a book. It's not porn. They could get porn on their phones. That's the argument they make. So now they're saying, you want to talk about real bad things? Let's talk about the Bible. Let's get that out of school. And it doesn't sound like a good idea to me. I, I, I don't think it's a good idea to get rid of the Bible. but. Uh, The good book is being treated like a bad book in Utah after a parent frustrated by efforts to ban materials from schools uh, convinced a suburban district that some Bible verses were too vulgar or too violent for younger children. And the Book of Mormon is the next one on the chopping block. The 72,000 student district district the uh, named Davis, Davis School District, uh, north of Salt Lake City, removed the Bible from its elementary and middle schools while keeping it in high schools after a committee reviewed the scripture in response to a parental complaint. This is crazy. And this should make its way to the Supreme Court. Absolute insanity. The district has removed other titles, including Sherman Alexie's The Absolutely True Diary of a Part-Time Indian and John Green's Looking for Alaska, following a 2022 state law requiring districts to include parents in decisions over what constitutes sensitive material. I think parents should be involved in anything with their children. Uh, like, if you're 83 years old and you're Al Pacino and you're having a baby, right? You should consult with the parents, not with uh, anybody else. Let's go to Angie North Bergen, in New Jersey, listening online. Go right ahead. Hi. How are you? I am wonderful. Thank you.
3: Okay. Um, I happen to... Tune in the last hour, and I heard you well, talking about you. Al Pacino
10: having a baby. Yep. Did
3: he have What are your thoughts are on that?
2: It? No, he's – well, she's pregnant. <laughs> <that>? <laughs> yeah, so Al Pacino, I think he's had the baby, and uh, De Niro's waiting for baby number seven. Oh, okay. I, yeah, I say – I, I say go for it, right? You know what are you going to do? Uh, I wouldn't have a baby at this age, but they're having them, and uh, I just think it's fascinating that you know th- these OGs are, are having babies. What do you think?
3: I don't know. I, I I don't I don't really agree with it, being that he's that old, and being that he probably won't be around for, it, ah. for his con- son. So,
2: that's an interesting point. So the creation of another fatherless child. Right, because who's going to take care of this kid? Mm-hmm. Right, yeah, it, it, yeah. A hundred and three years old is what he would be when when this kid's twenty. So he'll be around for a while. That's a really good point, one that I didn't think of. So, what do you think? It, it, I mean, obviously, the government's not going to tell people when and how they can have kids. This isn't China, but what would you what would you advise them in terms of of having children? Because I, I think that's a valid point. You know, like stop at seventy, like. Uh, El otro, what's his name? Um, Robert De Niro. De Niro is saying that he he's he's waiting for baby number seven, but he's younger. So maybe he can get away with it because he's only 79.
3: I would say no good after, even if they push 50, a man pushes 50.
2: I'm yeah, with you. Like, I'm 45 yes, and, and I don't plan on having any more babies. <laughs> so I'm with you. I think 50 is a great age to never have kids again and, and live it up. Now, uh, how would you? Uh, how are you listening to the show, Ange? How
3: am I listening to it?
2: Yeah. Are you, like, streaming it online?
10: Yeah, streaming it online.
2: Awesome. Well, I thank you for the call. Big shout-out to you and everybody in North Bergen, New Jersey. Uh, I uh, went to North Bergen High School. I know the area really, really well, so I appreciate your call.
3: Oh, amazing. Great.
2: All right. Take care. Hope you call back again soon. Let's continue our journey across the country Uh, right after this break
1: this is America at night with Rich Valdez no hair no care
2: All right, I want to give a quick shout-out to uh, Orwell Kalani Reynoso who's listening. I also want to give a shout-out to, uh, let's see, we've got three people that are on hold, and I probably only have time to get to one. Uh, But I want to always give a shout to our buddy Bill in Jefferson City, Missouri. He's our resident historian listening on KTTR. Uh, Claude in Ravenna, Ohio, WNIR. And, of course, Bill in Rock Springs, Ohio. Wyoming, K-U-G-R. I'm going to try and do the speed uh, dial here with everybody if I can. Let's go to Bill and Rock Springs. Go right ahead.
9: Yes, Rich. What we need is a new Nuremberg trial, and we need to make sure that we don't have an operation paperclip to let somebody mm. like uh, this guy that's now writing fictional stuff that used to be the FBI director scoot off like Werner Von Braun did.
2: Yeah, good point. Now, give me one person. uh, We don't have time to get into all of Operation Paperclip, which is a good topic. But one person that's going to be in your new Nuremberg trial. Go ahead. (laughs) Pretty much everybody
0: that's been at the head of the
2: the FBI would qualify. All right. Well, that's fair. We'll put the uh, head of the FBI, I guess, Christopher Ray is your number one choice. Thank you, Bill. Godspeed to you. Have a great weekend. Let's continue. Let's go to Claude in Ravenna, Ohio. Very quickly, go right ahead.
8: Yeah, good evening, Rich. I don't uh, call in much, but I do listen quite a bit.
2: Well, I appreciate uh, that, Claude.
8: Right. Uh, Biden himself has just turn everything, even uh, the Republicans in this country. Just turn them all around. they actually working against the uh, Republican Party. And that's, that's being showed by what's going on here now with that bill being okay. I think, really, truthfully, somebody ought to take the colostomy bag out of his mouth and go from there. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, gosh, that was good, Bill. Uh, Claude, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Uh, I, I I have nothing to add to that one. Uh, he's eating a lot of Wednesday, as we would say in Spanish. Okay, let's go to Bill in Jefferson City. You've got less than a minute, so keep it very brief. Bill.
7: Okay, Uh Anne Ran is probably turning over in her grave.
2: The Atlas author shrugged.
7: Of Atlas shrugged. Everybody ought to read that book uh, mm-hmm. because of the uh, federal uh, things. And uh, she, uh, her book wasn't published until after uh, after her uh, death. But, right. uh The producer of of uh, of uh, the movie. Uh, said it was one of the greatest reads he ever read. So that's my thought. Thank you.
2: You're welcome, Bill. Thank you. You always have some great historical insight to provide. And you're right, Anne Rand is um, aces in my book. Uh, What was the other one? The Fountainhead is the other book? I don't know. You guys fact-check me on that. Maybe we should do a – yeah, The Fountainhead. We will uh, discuss that maybe on Monday a little bit because both books are great, Atlas Shrugged and The Fountainhead. And as you look into either of them or watch the movies – very eye opening. If you have time, check them out over the weekend. Until the next time, hasta la próxima. I am Rich Valdez. Been my pleasure to be with you. Take care. Good night. God bless. Stay on this station. I'm coming back Monday.